Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. It's always amazing with famous people, particularly those that sit atop the world stage, when we find out things even after decades that we didn't know. It's interesting information, but most of all, it reshapes how we understand them and how these new surprises might have shaped the world that they touched. Such is the case with Winston Churchill and his underreported years as a war correspondent and reporter. We're going to talk about that today with my guest, Simon Reed. Simon is an award-winning reporter himself and the author of seven previous books. He's written for the San Francisco Chronicle and Publishers Weekly. And it is my pleasure to welcome Simon Reed here to talk about Winston Churchill reporting, Adventures of a Young War Correspondent. Simon Reed, thanks so much for joining us. Jeff, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Delight to have you here. Why are these years of Churchill so underreported, as it were? Clearly, you know, as, as you write about it and as we'll talk about it, these were formative years for Churchill. They really were. They really were. And when you think of uh, Winston Churchill, you think of him in this role as the iconic war leader and, you know, all the stuff that entails the ever-present cigar and, you know, these amazing speeches that, you know, still pack a a punch 70-plus years on. Um, I've always been curious about sort of what shaped him into this man that we remember and that, you know, he, he still casts a very large shadow over history. And when you go back and you look at everything he did, Jeff, like you said, I, I think the most important period of his life are these years 1895 to 1900, uh, when he was a war correspondent, uh, and these cover the years 20 to 25 years. That's how old he was during this time. Um, they're an important period for, for several reasons. Um, number one, it sort of introduces him to war, and we see him, uh, we see it shape sort of very complex views on war, uh, views that will have a bearing on him uh, as a future war leader. Uh, we see it introduce him to, uh, you know, his, uh, his passion for cigars, his passion for whiskey. Um, most importantly, though, uh, during this period, he hones this incredible command of the English language. He does a lot of writing, obviously, during this period. Um, he follows numerous reports for numerous London newspapers, and he writes five books as well. By the time he's 25, he's the best-selling author of four works of nonfiction and a novel, which is uh, very impressive. And he obviously puts his command of the language to amazing use uh, as a war leader, particularly in 1940 when he's trying to rally the British nation to carry on the fight against Nazi Germany alone. And so when you look at Churchill's life as a whole, I don't think you can sort of overstate the importance of the years he spent covering these foreign wars. And the interesting dichotomy in this is that, as you say, he wrote these books. He certainly did all of this war coverage. There's so much of a written record from Churchill for this period. The fact that it has been overlooked is even more astounding because of that. It is. You know, uh, Churchill led an incredibly active life, and uh, he did so much, and he, he lived a long life. And so when you look at most of the books that have been written on Churchill, and, you know, a lot of great books, they tend to focus on one of two areas. They either focus on his life in its entirety, and the problem with, with, with books like that, or I wouldn't say problem, but the, the approach that books like that take is they have to paint in very broad brushstrokes because there is so much information to, uh, to convey. I mean, he was 65 years old when he became prime minister in 1940, so I mean, that's a period of time when most people are thinking about retiring. And so the war corresponding years, you know, they get a mention, but there's never really a deep dive into that area. And then the other type of book on Churchill is the, the book that focuses on his years as war leader between 1940 and 1945. And, I mean, obviously, for, for obvious reasons, that is the lifeblood of his legacy, and that is the period 
that people tend to be really interested in. Um, but the war reporting years, uh, they are underreported, and it's a shame because it is such uh, an amazing period of his life. It's, it's an action-packed period of his life. When I was writing the book, I, I described it to friends as Winston Churchill as Indiana Jones because the adventures he gets into uh, sort of rival anything you see on a movie screen. He came close to death on numerous occasions. He always made sure he was at the center of the action. I mean, not only was he reporting on these wars, he was also fighting them actively as a soldier. And so it made for a uh, fantastic period to research and write about. It's interesting. I mean, we talk about reporters today being embedded while they're covering a story. He was actually embedded as a so- literally a soldier. He was. It was a unique situation to be in. He's uh, he's a reporter and a soldier in the British Army, um, and that was unusual. He, this all started in 1895. Uh, you know, he joins the army as a cavalry officer, and there's not much going on. The British Empire is at relative peace, and Churchill hated boredom. And so he decides in 1895 he's going to go off in search of his own adventure. And he, he in Cuba at the time, the Cubans were rebelling against Spanish colonial rule. And so he decides, oh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head over there and just, just check it out. And so he came from a very prominent family. His father had been a uh, big political figure in the British Conservative Party. His mother was a uh, sort of a, an elite figure in London high society. And he uses these family connections to convince the Foreign Office and the War Office in London to let him go over to Cuba to observe this insurgency against the Spanish. And at this age of 20, Churchill's already thinking about a political career, and he knows if he wants to go into politics, he needs to build a public persona for himself. And so he lands a uh, writing contract with a London newspaper called the Daily Graphic uh, to report on his exploits from the battlefield. And this is good because he can promote himself and earn a few extra uh, pounds in his pocket. And that's how this whole reporting thing uh, starts. So he goes off to Cuba with a writing contract for the London Daily Graphic. He's still in Her Majesty's Army. Um, and, you know, a lot of uh, higher-ups in the British military didn't necessarily approve of this, but Churchill being a Churchill, he, he got what he wanted. And after Cuba, he goes off on three more big campaigns and writes for uh, you know, larger and larger newspapers. I guess there's two sides to this. One, the degree to which his experiences shaped his writing. But more specifically, did he hold back or did he frame any of his writing, his corresponding, with respect to the actual efforts that he was engaged in as a soldier? He, it's, it's interesting. You know, when we think about Churchill, we always think about a politician who was not afraid to state what was on his mind. He, he, never, he never said anything uh, to gain political points or to gain popularity, and we certainly see this in the 1930s when he's warning people uh, about the uh, threat of, uh, you know, the rise of Hitler. Um, and we see this also when he's a uh, young war correspondent. If he saw something on the battlefield that he didn't agree with, and usually we're talking about incompetence uh, in the military leadership or poor decisions made by generals, he he put it in print. He let it fly. Uh, he did not hold back. And, you know, Churchill is a man of great physical courage in his early 20s. He's also a man of great moral courage because when he sees something he disapproves of, he lets people know, even if it can 
cost him. And what's you know what's interesting about this is, you know, sometimes he he criticizes uh, the British government back home over military actions, and this is a government that he wants to be a part of. So even before he becomes a part of the government, he's already kind of a thorn in their side. Uh, by you know poking them and, and criticizing them, but it, it does make you earn, you know it does make you admire him more, and that he's not afraid to pull punches. Uh, the other thing with his writing during this period is it teaches him how to sort of convey the horrors and sort of glory of war as well in, in terms that everyone can understand. When you re- when you read his uh, war dispatches, they're they're very descriptive. Uh, they can be very graphic. They're they're incredibly moving. And we see him take the same approach in these amazing speeches that he delivers in 1940 as prime minister. It's interesting that, that really he was a, a journalist first and a politician second, because in, during his out years as a politician, journalism is really how he kept himself going. It is. Yeah, yeah. when you think of Churchill, you think of Churchill uh, the politician. And obviously that is where he has made his mark. He's a political animal. He loved politics. It was uh, his primary passion in life. He lo- he loved uh, he you know, he loved the power of politics and the thrill of political debate. But he made his living as an author and a journalist. Um, he wrote numerous pieces all throughout his life for various London newspapers, uh, for magazines on both sides of the Atlantic, and he turned out a really impressive uh, number of books. And of course, he won the Nobel Prize for Literature in, I think it was 1953, for his World War II memoirs. And so writing was the way he uh, earned his bread and butter. And it was a tough existence because Churchill uh, always spent well beyond his means. Um, you know, he was always sort of looking for where the next uh, paycheck was coming from. And so he, he did produce a lot of content. I mean, he wrote around the clock. Sometimes he'd be up until... You know the early morning hours writing. So, and I'll tell you one thing too. You know, when you write a book about Churchill, the the journalist and the author, and you have to put your writing up alongside Churchill's writing, yeah. it's it's very daunting. It keeps you on your A game. Talk about the evolution of Churchill's writing. What his early dispatches were like, and and really how that evolved over time. Yeah, you know, he goes to Cuba in 1895, and uh, as I stated, he, he's contracted to write. Um, five, five dispatches for the London Daily Graphic. The, with the Cuba campaign, he comes under fire for the first time on his 21st birthday, but other than that, uh, not much happens. Cuba's kind of a lightweight affair, so when you read his dispatches, there's sort of more description of the Cuban jungle, uh, some of the little skirmishes he gets involved in, and just thoughts on sort of the landscape and the people he, encounter, he encounters. Um, after Cuba, the, the campaigns he cover get more and more violent. And uh, the first real taste of war he gets is uh, on the northwest frontier of British India in 1897. And this would be the region today between Pakistan and Afghanistan. And he covers a British campaign against the Pashtun tribes in the region, which are sort of the ancestors of uh, today's Taliban. And here he sees the brutality of war for the first time. He sees men hacked to death with swords. He sees men shot. Um, he sees horrible injuries. And that has a real impact on his writing. And uh, the writing uh, he's now doing for the Daily Telegraph is much more vivid. It's much more graphic. And also, because he's going through these sort of horrendous experiences, there's also a real emotional, uh, an emotional depth to it. There's a wonderful line he writes where he's standing over the graves of 
recently buried British soldiers, and he says he realizes that the sort of majesty and glory of war are, quote, the unsubstantiated fabrics of a dream. And you, you see these wonderful turns of phrase. The more intense the combat experience, the more vivid his writing um, becomes. And in one point on the Northwest Frontier, he actually says that he's sort of withholding certain descriptions of what he sees because he knows that people read the Daily Telegraph at the breakfast table and he doesn't want to turn their stomach. Um, by the time he gets to South Africa in, 19, uh, in 1899, um, he is, he's at the top of his descriptive powers. I mean, he's a brilliant writer. He's written several books at this point. And in South Africa, he's actually the highest paid uh, foreign correspondent in the, war zone, in the war zone. He really earned a reputation for high-quality work. And it's the uh, war report, and that really establishes his literary reputation. How did other how did other journalists at the time look upon the degree to which Churchill kept, as we've talked about, a foot in both camps? That that he was covering events that, in some ways, he was part of. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know how other journalists viewed him. That doesn't really come up in sort of the letters he writes home uh, or in his uh, dispatches. But I can tell you that. Uh, there are people in the British military who do not take kindly uh, to Churchill's approach. They, they accuse him of being uh, a glory hound, and they accuse him of being a, uh, a metal hunter and say that it's unfair that Churchill should be going off and having these wonderful adventures um, on the dime of newspapers while other soldiers who want to go off and have adventures are sort of stuck in their barracks and not doing much of anything. But what's interesting to notice, um, there are a couple of instances where soldiers who serve alongside Churchill uh, write home to their families and say, whereas other war correspondents sort of loiter in the back lines and just report on what they hear from others who've been up at the front, Churchill himself is up there at the front, running to the sound of the guns, putting himself in the way of enemy fire. And so there are soldiers who actually uh, sort of respect what he does because they look at the other war correspondents as kind of uh, cowardly and not all that courageous, whereas Churchill is the exact opposite. In many ways, he really was the the perfect picture of this kind of Renaissance man. I mean, he was both brilliant with respect to, to words and the arts and also a man of action. He was. He's, um, you know, I, just, I actually thought about that when I was writing the book, Jeff. Um, you know, when you see what, what he accomplished at 25, and, you know, I was thinking what I was doing at 25, it was probably, you know, <laughs> sitting around drinking a beer and watching movies. <laughs> it sort of makes you feel like an underachiever. But he was, uh, he was an incredible talent. Um, but, you know, when he starts his writing career in Cuba in 1895, um, he's already a brilliant writer. I mean, you, you know, you can see it in his descriptions of the Cuban jungle and sort of these little skirmishes he experiences against uh, Cuban rebels. You can see the talent is there. It's just a case of uh, sort of unlocking it and, and developing it more. Um, he, he had an incredible way with words, and he was, he was a man of action. That is a perfect description of him. I mean, he really was uh, sort of a, a, an action adventurer type. And what's interesting about that is uh, he, he went off, you know, looking for action. A lot of people from his family, you know, from a family with, with the connections that the Churchills had, they could have used that influence to avoid going off to war. Churchill uses it actually to go off to active war zones. And he had, you know, already in his early 20s, he had this incredible sense of his own destiny. Um, he actually writes to his mother at the age of 23 from the northwest frontier of British India. He, he, he writes, I'm sort of paraphrasing, but it's very close to what he says. He goes, I, I don't believe that gods would create a being as 
as brilliant as I for so crude an ending as death on the battlefield. And he had a sense that he was destined to do something great. He tells his mom at one point, you know, I believe I'm destined to save the British Empire and the English-speaking peoples. And because he had this sense of destiny and that fate had something great in store for him, it made him take risks which were pretty reckless. I mean, when you look at the stuff he did, I mean, it makes you think twice. I'm I'm guessing the guy was probably an adrenaline junkie because he, he really takes chances that a rational person probably wouldn't take. Um, and he thought nothing of sharing these experiences with his poor mother back home. God knows what, what, what she thought. But, uh, yeah, he was incredibly brave. He was incredibly talented. Um, he was sort of the whole package, really. But yet, when he led Britain during the war years, he wasn't reckless. I mean, his actions were very modulated and very thoughtful. They were a lot of the, you know, they were a lot of the times. Uh, he, he did... You know, there, he, he was a big proponent of, uh, you know, going on the offensive. And he did, as war leader, you know, he came up with some schemes that his, uh, you know, his, his general sort of bristled against and thought were um, a bit crazy. But what you see during the war years um, is you see him, uh, he's very conscious of uh, sort of the toll of war, the, the human cost of war. And this is uh, a direct... Uh, response to what he experienced as a as a war correspondent. You know, he loved the thrill of combat, and he loved the complexity and scope of large military-scale, uh, large uh, military-scale campaigns. But he, he hated the blood toll. He hated seeing men die pointlessly. And we see that uh, come to bear on him as a war leader, specifically in, in the planning of uh, D-Day. Churchill is initially against the Normandy landings because... He's seen what war can do. He's seen war up close, and he, he's worried about the number of casualties that are going to be inflicted. And he's, he's worried, you know, is, is this a campaign that's going to be worth, you know, 20,000 men killed in a day or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. And so he does have a sort of a, an emotional depth to him when it comes to war. His critics will dismiss him as a, as a warmonger. You know, a lot of people say, oh, Churchill loved war. You know, he was, he was a warmonger, and he wanted war and blood. But that is far too simplistic a uh, criticism. He had a much deeper approach to war than people give him credit for. Simon Reed, his book is Winston Churchill Reporting, Adventures of a Young War Correspondent. Simon, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Jeff, it was great to be here. Wish I was actually in Napa, but this is the next best thing, so thanks for having me. Thank you.